want to talk about Jesus is my, and blank is what I have. Jesus is my what? Jesus is my homie? Uh-uh. Or is he like he is my, uh, my Lord? He is my king? To everybody, Jesus is probably someone different. Why? Because we've experienced something different of who Jesus is. To some of us, he is a savior. A savior is born. I feel saved from the things that I felt lost in, the, the things that I, that I knew was my, my sin that so easily beset me. I feel saved by him. For some of us, he's just a good man. Maybe for some of us, he's just a wise guy. He's just had some good things to say, and, and I really, I don't know if, I, if he really was God or not, or maybe he's just one God, of, or maybe he's just one guy who leads to the same God, and, and everybody has a different perspective. Some of us, maybe we look at him and think, he sounds like an angry God when I, when I read about him in the Bible. Maybe it's because he's too judgy or something, or, or some of us feel like he's a, he was a rebel. He's the guy who turned everything upside down on its, on its head. He defended the poor. And he went against the religious order and, and he, was, he was fighting for the small guy. Some of us, he was a gentleman. For every one of us, Christ was different. The question I've got for you today is, who is Jesus to you? <clears throat> who is Jesus to you? Is he only one thing? Or is there more that we can actually learn about Jesus? See, the fact is, it's very hard to get to know a person sometimes because it takes time to get to know a person. It's not something you just do overnight. You don't just say a prayer of Jesus, let you into my heart, and I just ask that you forgive my sins forever, ever, amen, and then that's it. Now you know Jesus. No, it takes time. Why? Because he's a person. He's a human person. But when you don't know a person, you don't necessarily know where your boundaries are with them. Can I, can I, can I go a little bit closer? Do I kind of hold back? Do I, do, do I trust this person? Do I not trust this person? Can I be vulnerable? Can I open up with that person? It's like trying to buy a car from someone that you don't know. And they say, this car is really, it's purring like a cat. It's ticking over like a, like a turkey. It's just perfect. You're going to love this car. It's a really good car. It's worth the $1,000 I'm charging for it. And part of you is like, really? Is it worth the $1,000? I don't know if I can trust this person. Can I not trust this person? But if you're buying the car from your parents, maybe you do trust them because you've seen them own this car for years. You've seen your, your parents look after this car and you trust that you can buy this car from them and they're going to do everything they can to, 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 to do whatever they can for your favor. They're going to do whatever they can to try and support you. And it's an important thing for us to understand how to trust people. A year ago, I actually went to this uh, we, we actually moved house. We, my, my wife and I moved house and moved to uh, a popcorn. We took our children with us as well, right? So we moved, we moved to a popcorn. We, we bought this beautiful house. And one of the things that I've learned about buying a house is that you can choose the house, but you can't choose your neighbors, can you? You can't go, um, I'll take this, I'll take this brick and this facade, and I want these windows and that roof, and I want this type of neighbor, and I want that type of neighbor, right? There's no, there's no builder out there that can actually provide the neighbors for you. You can't choose the neighbors. There's no selection process for that. And, and, so, and so we moved into this house, and there was a young couple who just bought the house next door to us. And, uh, they, you know, I, I didn't really know them, and they had said hello to us. And I figured, well, they seem like they're nice, but you never know. They could be the neighbors from hell. Has anyone got the neighbors from hell? Maybe you're living in hell. You got the neighbor from hell. We all know it, right? A few hands kind of going up, and there's that person right beside me, right? And, 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 so, and so I've got this neighbors right next door to me, and, and I'm living in peace, and they're living in peace, and everything's fine, you know, and I'm able to live in my own little world, and I'm just, I've got my new house, and everything's wonderful. 
But it turns out that a few houses down from me, a friend of ours that we've gotten to know over the last few years um, is a gentleman who is in the insurance business and he has lived in Apopka for quite a long time. And it turns out he ran to become the mayor of Orlando. Sorry, the mayor of Apopka. And his name's uh, uh, Mayor Brian Nelson. And so I kind of knew him. So I'm like, oh, I kind of feel more comfortable with him because I know him. And if he lives here, then everything must be fine. But maybe it's not fine. And so one night uh, I, was, I was at home and, and, and the next door neighbors, the, the, the young couple that just bought this house, they decided to get married and they got married in their yard, in their front yard. And they did the beautiful wedding outside in the front yard. And I know it was a beautiful wedding because I sat on my porch and I just watched it happen, right? So I was able to go, ah, I feel like I'm apart, but I don't actually have to come with a gift, right? And so as part of the, the wedding over there, and it was beautiful. And at the end of the day, the, the darkness sets in, they go into the house and they go to the backyard and do their, their celebration where they're doing their, you know, their, their, their dancing just like this, you know. And and then, and then I, was, I, was, I was about to go upstairs about 11 o'clock at night. I went upstairs, took my shoes off, and about to get undressed for bed, and I heard this knock on the door. <clears throat> so I'm like, someone's come to see me. I'm a pastor. I'm used to this type of stuff. So I get my, my breeks back on, put my shoes back on, and I go down the stairs, and I come to the front door, and I open it up, and it's the mayor of the Apopka city, right? And it's the mayor of Apopka, and, and he's like, come and get some cake. And then he just ran off. What the hell? <laughs> this doesn't happen to me every day. I don't know what to do with that type of stuff. I mean, maybe that's what we do in America. I'm not sure. I come from Scotland. Usually there's an invitation and there's a little writing. We'd love you to come to this wedding. Please RSVP and stuff like that. But someone comes to your door and going, come and get some cake. Hey, and then run off. I'm like, this is, you know, this, this seems strange to me. So I'm like, thank you. Do I go get some cake? Who would not go get some cake? Some of us would not go get some cake. Who would go get some cake? That's the Americans right there. I know the difference. So anyway, I'm back in my house. I'm thinking, do I go across and get some cake? I don't even like cake, but, but it's going to be kind of weird. I mean, I'm not even dressed for what. Should I go upstairs, get dressed, come in a bow tie and everything? And should I go over and go and just walk in? I'm going walking into someone's house of people that I don't know. Am I walking into their house and going, hey, my name's Pete. I'm your next door neighbor. I'm here for some cake, right? Or are they going to stand there and go, who the heck is this guy? And why is he here from some cake? How did he know about this cake? Did someone tell him about this cake? I mean, are they going to feel like this is rude that some weird guy from Scotland that they can't understand, they don't even really know that's next door? Am I going to be that weird neighbor that says, hi, neighbor, I'm here for some cake, right? Or are they going to, are they going to, are they going to accept me with open arms? Maybe what I should do is I should go over and I should go, the mayor told me to come for some cake. That will, that will clear it all up for them. And they're going to stand there and go, the mayor told you to come and get some cake. Okay. And they, I mean, or maybe they're going to be the type of polite people. You know the type of polite people that are like, oh, no, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have, who the heck is this guy, right? You know, you know when you say one thing, but you think another? And this is kind of, is there anyone else that has that conversation in their head other than me? And, you know, you're kind of second-guessing what's going on. Is this weird? Do I step into someone else's world? Do I not step into someone else's world? But he just shouted, come and get some cake, and that keeps rattling around in my head. And so anyway, I went upstairs and I put my shoes on. I'm, sat, I'm standing there going, no, my shoes are already on, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm standing up there going, 
I'll change my shirt. I'll put a different shirt on. And I'm sitting there going, do I do this or do I not? I feel really weird. And at that moment, Crystal was out running some errands. She comes home and, 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 I, and I watch up there. And I'm like, Yo, you're never going to guess. The mayor just came over and shouted at me, come and get some cake. And she's like, why? And I said, well, the wedding next door. And she goes, well, let's go. And so she just, just, she just walks over. Right? Because she's American. Right? I'm British. I need an invitation. We got very much sensibilities. We don't like barging into people's lives unless it's someone else's country and we take over half the world under the, during the British Empire. But we forget all about that, right? And so, and so I'm like, no, I can't get an invitation. And she's just got the freedom to walk over because, you know, she's Crystal Brunton. That's why I married her. And she's like, everybody loves me. And she just walks in and just like romances everybody. And everybody loves her because she's like, I'm here for some cake. And they go, you're just so lovely and wonderful and splendid. And, splendid. and we just, they, they, they take her in with open arms. And then I'm sitting there going, they're, she's going to go over there. They're going to love her. And then they're going to think, why did your husband not come over then? I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. What do I do? So I like, you know, I should do, okay, I will go over. I'm just going to buck up. I'm 45 years old. I can do this, right? I'm going to get this. You know, I should, I should have a bottle of wine with me. And I took a bottle of wine. I'm like, no, I'm kidding. I took a bottle of wine, put it on my arm, and I came through. And I wasn't dressed for a wedding. And I'm like, hey, hi, hey. And they just went, oh, neighbor, come on in. Oh, it's so great to see you. And I'm like, hey, I brought you this cheap bottle of wine just to say congratulations. I really, uh, the mayor told me to come over. That, that's okay with you. No, we're so glad you came. Thanks for coming over. Oh, come on in. Yeah, get some cake, get some wine. And, we did. and suddenly I was in the party and I was all welcome and all my fears went away. My arguments disappeared. I was welcomed in. I was known as Peter. I was welcomed in. When you know someone, you know your vulnerability level. You can feel open with them. You can know that they're there for you and you can be there for them. What type of Jesus do you know? Is this the type of Jesus you know? Is Jesus the type of person that you know that you can trust, that you can feel welcome with him? Do you know him? The only way you can know a person is if you spend time with them and then you learn their characteristics. You learn the things that you can trust about them. And in the Old Testament, there was a prophet who actually wrote about this. He was one of the prophets that foretold the Messiah coming. It's a very famous scripture. Many of you may already know it from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And maybe you already know it from Handel's Young Messiah. Does anyone, anyone here in Handel's Young Messiah? Maybe I'm the only one for unto us a child is born. Okay, no one else is with me on that one. Hanging by a thread. Okay, so there's a famous composer that took this scripture. There's a very famous scripture that's read at Christmas time all the time. And he turned this, this whole concerto, this whole orchestra, this whole song into, into a thing called Handel's Young Messiah. And it was about how God was going to bring a Messiah. And when Isaiah was writing about this guy, this was 700 years before Jesus actually was going to come. 700 years. How could he know about this Messiah coming? It's simple. It's simply because of this, he spent time with his God. He spent time in prayer. He probably spent time just being in the spirit and communing with his God. And the thing is, the closer you get to a person, listen now, the closer you get to a person, the more they reveal themselves, the more they start to show themselves. 
That's why intimacy and relationship is so important for marriage. It's so important in a walk with God. And if you want to know God, if you want to, to feel God closer to you, then you have to spend time with them. And it says in Isaiah 9, 6, this is, what, this is what Isaiah got to know about God. He said, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. One of the most famous scriptures that is ever read at Christmas time. There are four things that Isaiah knew about God, and it was this. This is the four things, the four qualities that he learned about this great God that would become the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The first one is this. He said he is a wonderful counselor. This is the quality of wisdom. Is Jesus someone you feel like you can trust to counsel you, to direct you, to give you advice, to tell you what the next steps are in your life? One of the things that I've learned about a wonderful counselor is a wonderful counselor that has always done two things for me. The first one is this. It's someone who knows you well. Someone who knows me well. They know you. They, 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 you feel like you're being understood by them. And being understood is so important because you become the type of person that is known by your name. I was at a restaurant recently, and I was in a restaurant, and, 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 uh, and, and I checked out, you know, once we had our food, I checked out, and as I was leaving, the guy goes, see you later, Peter, like that, and I'm like, bye, and as I was walking, I'm like, how does he know me? How does he know me? I haven't been to this restaurant before. Does he come to my church? And I don't know who he is. Oh my gosh, I feel embarrassed. Maybe he packs my groceries. Maybe, maybe he cuts on. Who is this guy? And I suddenly realized he just probably read my credit card, right? And so I said, Peter Brunton. Oh, it's right there. But he took the time to get to know me. This is the type of God I believe that we have. We have the type of God who knows you well. He knows your name. Let me tell you, loneliness is one of the biggest silent killers in our culture today. Mother Teresa said this. She said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. You know that you need to be known. They say that even suicides spike during the Christmas season. Why? Because people feel that loneliness. They feel disconnected from other people. Let me tell you, let let me just step out here for a second. If you have never felt properly welcomed or you don't feel like you've gotten an invitation to be here, I want you to know, I want you to be here. I want to know your name. I just can't remember all the names. If I don't remember your name, it's not because I don't like you and I don't love you and I don't want you to be here. It's simply because I can't remember all names. We have like 800 people that come to our church. My brain doesn't keep up with that. I can barely remember my cat's name, right? But I want you to know that you're welcome here. If we have only sent someone up to your front door and shouted, you're welcome to Northwest Church, come and get some cake, and then we just run away, please forgive us. Forgive us because we want you to know there's an invitation for you. There's a place at the table. We want you to be here. We want, some, we want you to know that you're someone who is known by God, and we want to get to know you as well. If a wonderful counselor is someone who knows you well, a wonderful counselor is someone who guides you well too. You see, knowing the right way is so much better than guessing the right way, right? Knowing it is so much better than just guessing it. And James, that we went through a whole study a couple months ago, he says this. He says, if someone needs wisdom, they should ask God. 
They should just reach out and ask. Jesus wants to give you the best advice that you can actually trust. Now, what I've discovered is this. The more you get to know a person, the more your emotions change when you get to know that person. Your emotions settle. Your emotions start to have an, it starts to have an effect on your emotions. And so when I think about a wonderful counselor, when you have been with a wonderful counselor, this is the emotion that you get. You get the emotion of contentment. Why? Because you run out of questions. Because you've got all the answers you need. You've got the next steps for your life. Do you know Jesus as a wonderful counselor? Here's the second thing that Isaiah calls this new Messiah, this great Messiah. He says, a wonderful counselor. He says, he is a mighty God. A mighty God is a quality of power. Is Jesus someone who is mighty to you? A mighty God, in my understanding, is this, is a God who has no impossibilities. Nothing is impossible for him. There's nothing too big or too small that he, that, he, that, he, that he would ever tackle in life that could ever overcome him. Nothing can undermine him, not even your sin. He found a way to overcome your sin. Listen, what I find is we often end up telling God what we can't do. But I want to encourage you, don't tell God what you can't do. Trust what he can do through you. He told you, if you just have a tiny amount of faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Your faith, your faith is your relationship with Jesus. It can move mountains. What do you feel when you're around a mighty God? I tell you what I feel. I feel confidence. I feel boldness. I'm like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm with him. You feel that boldness and that confidence. You feel like you can do it because you know that God can do it. That's what happens with children when they're around their parents and they're like, yeah, I can do that, I can do that. And it's simply because their parents are close to them and they feel strong and they feel bold. When you're around a mighty God, you, feel, you should feel that confidence. If you don't feel confidence in your life, I want, you to, I want to ask you to reach out. Reach out to this Jesus that we know and tag him in, tag him into the game and ask him to show himself as a mighty God. The third thing that Isaiah says is this. He says he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father. That's a quality of love. That is a quality of love. Do you know Jesus as an everlasting father? Wait a second. Did they just start off with saying, for unto us a child is born? How can a child become an everlasting father? Well, when, when Jesus was actually hanging out with his 12 guys and one of them called Philip came up to him, I think it was in John chapter 14, he says, hey, Jesus, could you show us the father, please? And Jesus, at that moment, lost his mind. He says, Philip, I've spent three years with you. Have you still not gotten this? If you've seen me... You've seen the Father. I only come to do what the Father has told me to do. I am the Father. I'm the everlasting Father. Listen, if I went and stood in front of God right now, I'd probably explode in a ball of flames. Why? Simply because of the sin that still exists inside me. But let me tell you this. Jesus came to be that mediator between the Father and us He's the one who knows what it is to be a human, what it is to walk in our steps, what it is to be through the, go through the temptations that we have gone through. He knows what it is to go through what we're going through. And so if he knows what it is to be like us, he also knows what it is to be like the Father because he is God himself. He has come to be our everlasting Father. And everlasting is such a wonderful word to me, and I'll tell you this. 
It's because I lost my father 16 years ago. And the one thing I was not expecting was the worst emotion that I believe that came with losing my dad was this. And I had a great relationship with my dad was this. The worst emotion that I felt was rejection. And I'm in my 30s and my my father has died. I was 29 years old. My father's died from this horrific cancer in his life. And I watched him go through this, 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 this long, slow death. And I was losing my dad every day. And he was getting further and further and further away from me. And I just felt this rejection within myself. When I finally lost him, I just felt like a little boy that was lost in the grocery store. And I couldn't find my dad. One thing I've learned is this. We're all going to go through that with our dads because they all must leave us at some point. They will all die. They will all move on. And you're going to be the last man or the last woman standing in your family line. But there is someone you can tag into your life. There is someone that you can pull into your life. And he is the everlasting father. He doesn't die. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He has the power of life and death within his hands. He has conquered the evil one. You can depend on him. Tag him into your life. Reach out. And know him as the everlasting father. What do you feel when you have found the father? I'll tell you this, when I find my father, when I find a father, I feel this, I feel safe. If you never had a good dad, I get it, I understand. You might have, one of your greatest struggles in life might be that you never feel safe constantly. You swing back and forward into, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I feel panic, I feel panic, I feel panic. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I feel panic, I feel panic, I feel panic. Listen, I get it. I'm not trying to tell you it's easy and it's simple. It takes time to get to know a father. But I want to ask you to reach out every day and tag Jesus into your life. Say, it's on you. You're in. Take it on from this point because I've reached my limits. Tag him in to being your everlasting father. The last thing that Isaiah says this, absolutely beautiful. He says he's an everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. This is the quality of reconciliation. Is Jesus a prince of peace? Does he bring peace into your life? When I look, when I think about this, it's, it's easy to think, of, when I start thinking about how do I create peace in my own life, right? How do I decompress? I'll tell you how to decompress. I'll, I'll go home and then I'll get a glass of wine. I'll go up to my, my bedroom and I'll get my gym jams and I get into bed and get a little laptop, pull up the Netflix, press play, and then I decompress from the rest of the day. Is anyone with me on that one? Right, you're not welcome when I do it. Okay, so you need to find our ways of decompressing, but usually it's by ourselves, Right? We decompress by ourselves. It's hard to decompress with other people, usually. It's hard to do that. Maybe some of you don't like being by yourselves, but usually that's the easiest way to find peace is just be by yourself. When I was thinking about how we do this with humans, how do we create peace when we are with other people? It's easy for me to try and create peace by myself, but how do I do it with other people? You see, when you are doing it with other people, what I found is we have this, this human peace standard or this, or this way of approaching things where we create a balance of power. We do this in our government. We have the upper house and we have the lower house. We have the right of the aisle, the left of the aisle, and we're constantly having balances and checks because we don't know if we can entirely trust the other person that's beside us. It's a balance of power. And sometimes there's a to and fro, and, and, and even in your marriage, it can be that way, where it's like, this is your chore, this is my chore, you can say this, but you can't say that. And we start making rules and regulations for each other of what they can do and what they can't do, simply so that we can have peace in our lives, and that we can live at peace in our lives. 
When there's a balance of power, we spend our time trying to put everybody in their place so that they don't infringe upon me. They don't infect and, 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 and knock the balance of my peace off. And we do that with our business, uh, uh, in, in our businesses. We do that even with our families at Christmas time and at Easter and, and at Thanksgiving. And we'll only spend this much time with your in-laws because they're freaking crazy, right? So, so I don't want to spend all day with them. And I get it. You have to have some sanctity in your life. And we're constantly bringing balance of power into our lives. But this is the thing with Jesus Christ. All the power is in his hands. He has the right to condemn us of our sin, but he chose to not do that. He chose to have an imbalance of power. He chose to give up his power to take our place. Where we're trying to put other people in their place to make sure we have place, uh, peace in our lives. He was busy taking our place, becoming one of us and becoming a child and going through everything we've ever gone through, going through every temptation and finally going to a cross and becoming the perfect sacrifice for us so that we can have a relationship with the Father once again. That's the Prince of Peace in my life. Do you know this Prince of Peace? Do you know the reconciler? He was the one who reconciled us back to God. And he brings reconciliation between you and the Father. You're now one of the children of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High. So now, if you know him as a reconciler, you are now to be a reconciler. Maybe you don't know how to be a reconciler with your in-laws, with your family, or whoever it is. Maybe you don't know how to do it, but if you ask God for wisdom, who is a wonderful counselor, he can bring you the wisdom to know how to be a reconciler, how to be a, a, a counselor even to other people. When he becomes your prince of priests, this is what you feel. Listen now. You feel restoration. Basically, means that everything that was stolen from me is now restored to me. Whatever has been taken away from me, relationships that I may be lost in the past, God will not just restore the joy of your salvation. He will increase you. If you've lost children to stillbirth, or you've lost, you've lost family in death, or you have lost businesses, or you've lost relationships, and things have died in your life, I want you to know this, that Jesus has come to bring restoration to your life. It may not be the exact way that you want it to be, but he is here to be a mighty counselor, a mighty God, a mighty lover in your life, and a mighty, mighty prince of peace to bring joy and peace and hope. That's what Christmas is about. When I was a child, I remember watching a TV show, and it was always on Saturday afternoon. It was in the 1980s. Remember those days, yeah? We had mullets, you know, business in the front, fun in the back. And, um, and, uh, uh, and I remember watching a TV show, and it was wrestling. And I don't mean the type of wrestling where they do at high school, you know, where they literally wrestle each other to the ground, and they just get each other in a headlock, and they stay there for half an hour until the other one gives in. I'm talking about the real wrestling that's on TV. You know the one I'm talking about, Right? Remember like WWF and stuff? But when I was a kid, it wasn't WWF. It was something else. And there was a couple of characters in it. And when you're a kid, you believe all this stuff. Anyone with me on this? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. And I remember watching this. And there was a, there was a big bad guy. And his name was Giant Haystacks. He was seven feet tall. And he was built like the side of a bus, right? And he would just come in. He had a big, big, big Viking beard. And he would come in with one eye raised, one, eye, one, one eyebrow raised. And he would come in and you could tell he was the baddie because everyone went, boo, boo, right? 
And then they would go, and please welcome to the ring, Big Daddy, right? Big Daddy was this big fat guy, always dressed in white with a glittering top hat. And he would come in waving to cheers and everyone's like, Big Daddy, Big Daddy. And this guy was amazing and everybody looked forward to Big Daddy putting the smack down. And some weeks what they would do is they would pair them up with skinny guys like me, Right? And when you're a young, skinny kid, I can remember looking at it going, and subconsciously, I was probably thinking of myself as one of the skinny guys, but just really hoping that someday I could be big daddy in the ring, right? Someday I'm going to be fat enough and big enough, and I'll be able to take everyone out. And the way they wrestle always goes, they always put the two weak guys in together, and they're, you know, wrestling, and then they'll take some pot shops, and then they get up on the ropes, and then they'll, they'll do their, 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 their Superman dive upon each other, and then... And then, the, and then the, the body weak guy, the body skinny guy, he'll reach over and tag in the big fat back guy, right? Giant haystacks. And giant haystacks, he comes in, boom, 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 and he comes in and goes, boo, boo. And giant haystacks, this is a, not a fair fight whatsoever. And giant haystacks starts to punch him in the face, and the little skinny good guy, he falls in the ground. And then what always happens is the skinny bad guy that's out of the ring, he'll distract the referee, do you remember that? And the referee will go, what are you doing? No, you have to get out of here. And he's always putting his hands up like this. No, you have to get out of here. You can't do it. And in the background, the skinny guy is getting pulverized by the big guy who's doing some dirty tricks now. And he's found a chair. And he's going to smack the guy over the top of the head. And I'm on TV. I'm, on, I'm at my home watching TV going, look behind you. Look behind you. And you're getting in a panic because you're thinking this is real. And oh my gosh, the referee can't see. And now he's taking the skinny guy and he's throwing him out. And he's throwing him down the ground and he's pulverizing him. And then finally, finally the skinny guy is on the ground. He's just reaching, reaching for his partner, Big Daddy. Big Daddy. And he's reaching. And then he gets pulled back and then he's reaching. And finally he tags Big Daddy. And Big Daddy stretches those ropes apart. And he pulls himself in. And there's a look on his face that something's going down right now. And he's walking around. And he's looking at the big bad guy. And then suddenly he pulls out the atomic elbow. Boom! The big guy goes down. And the skinny guy comes in. He tries to take him on. And he takes up both of them. And he smacks them together and he knocks them out. And then he pulls the skinny bad guy bad in and the referee walks in the middle of it and he takes both of their hands and he raises them in the air. And he says, you have both won. I am out of breath. I wasn't born to be a wrestler. Just a preacher. (laughs) But here's the thing I want you to understand. You don't have all the power to overcome what you've got to overcome. You can't do it. That's why God sent a savior to us. And it's time for us to learn how to tag him in to parts of our lives that are outside of his realm. We're in the ring trying to wrestle for our marriage. We're in the ring trying to wrestle for our futures, for our children, for our businesses, for that spirit of poverty that often seems to make us spend money we don't really have. And we're always fighting over money or we're always fighting over how do I get life and I'm fighting depression. And whatever you're in the ring with, I want you to know you've got to crawl over to the side and tag him in. Tag Big Daddy into the ring and tell him to take over your life from that point onwards. 
You see, maybe you only know Jesus as the seven pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in a, in a manger that we drag out of the attic every year and we put lights all over the place and go, we just love Jesus, we just love Jesus. But for the rest of the year, we put him back in the closet. We put him away in the attic. But he wants to be your everyday Jesus. And there is a place for you. And I'll tell you how I do it. I do it two different ways. Number one, I spend time with God himself. I talk to him. I listen to him. I'll do songs and and I'll take time just to meditate on him. And the other way I do it is I spend time with other godly people. That's why we do small groups. That's why we gather together. We've got it even on our wall here. We gather together to grow so that we can go and conquer the life that God has told us to conquer. We gather together because it's so important for us to not be alone. Let me tell you, someone is shouting out to you right now, come on, come and get some cake. Come on over. My father's house has got a place for you. There's a beautiful table that's laid out. It's got your name tag right there. There's a spot that's empty and you need to come over and you need to make a decision. Am I going to go over or am I not? Am I going to go over and learn who this God is? Am I going to get closer to him? Am I going to spend time with him? Or am I just going to stay in my own little world of peace, in my own place of peace? Am I going to have a a, a balance of power? You're over there, you're over there, and I'll stay over here, and this is how I'll control my peace in my world. Or will you take and bust out, get out of it, get out of your ring, get out of your world, and go over to where he's invited you to? Let me tell you, there's a place for you at the table. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. There's a place for you even in this church. There's a place with you for you with, our, with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Tag him in.